This is Live Well Talk on open heart surgery and heart catheterization. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at UnityPoint Health, St. Luke's Hospital. February is heart month, and oftentimes when people think of heart issues, there's a confusion between open heart surgery and undergoing a procedure like a heart catheterization. Joining me today to discuss their differences is Dr. Tyrone Galbraith, cardiothoracic surgeon with Physicians Clinic of Iowa and St. Luke's Heart and Vascular Institute. Welcome. Thank you, Dr. Arnold. You know, I do think people do get confused between the, you know, the old terms, cabbage, et cetera. You know, so could you kind of just, could you describe your thought process, your consultancy, a patient, they just had an angiogram and you say, okay, here's what we got to do. What, how, how does that take us through that? Sure. So I would say that, that the coronary angiogram is usually part of the workup um, when a patient has had symptoms or there's concerns or studies that suggest that maybe they have a coronary blockage. And the coronary angiogram essentially is where a catheter is placed, usually through the wrist, sometimes the groin. And by placing that catheter um, in the aortic root, we're able to shoot contrast and essentially look and see is there a blockage or not. So I would say that it's part of the common algorithm or common pathway um, that is before a person would have coronary artery stenting for a blocked vessel or be considered for surgical revascularization, or as you mentioned, cabbage, which is really short for coronary artery bypass grafting, in which we would sew new vessels onto the heart beyond where, it's, where the blockages are. And what is the main, I mean, what... What is, okay, so they've had the angiogram, it's positive, it shows blockages. What sure. is the trigger to have open heart surgery as opposed to the cardiologist putting a stent in? Sure, no, I think that's a good question. And I would say most commonly that patients that would be referred for, for cabbage are patients that have complex coronary anatomy. In other words, they may have a pinch point or a narrowing where two vessels split or if they are diabetic, uh, they're much better served long-term with coronary artery vascularization. And I think that that's been time proven through multiple randomized trials. Um, lastly, if patients have multiple blockages, in other words, maybe they have three coronary arteries that have blockages, those patients tend to be better served with coronary artery bypass grafting. Patients that would be more indicated for a coronary stent or patients that may have a single lesion. Maybe it's a short segment that's narrowed. And then also patients that uh, are more bond or patients that wouldn't do as well with heart surgery. Okay. You know, I, I, I my dad had bypass surgery probably, he's, he's in the top 10 of the, the first 10 patients here. I know that for sure. Oh. Um, so, and he's passed away a long time ago, but I remember he had open heart surgery and he was here two weeks and had no complications, but he was here two weeks. Sure. Uh, you know, that has really changed. I mean, so uh, tell us about the the recovery process uh, for, sure. uh, for an uncomplicated case. Sure. For, for a straightforward case, I would say that the majority of patients are with us for four to five days following the operation. I would say that most of my patients within two weeks are driving following their procedure. Really, the, the rate-limiting step is we don't want them on, on narcotic pain medications at the time of driving. And then at eight weeks, uh, most patients return to full active life in terms of no restrictions. I'd say at 12 weeks, the sternum is completely healed. But the majority of people at eight weeks are up and walking. They've gone through the cardiac rehab. They're feeling pretty good. I would say that 
most patients a week out from surgery don't require any narcotic pain medications. And um, in general, they do pretty well. Yeah, my, my experience with patients has been there's some people that just are very sensitive in the sternum and they kind of have a longer recovery. Sure. And then other patients are just like, hey, I'm fine. I'm ready to go again. Uh, sure. Which is it's that way if they need surgery. Sure. Um, so these procedures have changed over time. What is the biggest change that you've seen in your career? Um, I would say that the, the biggest change is, is our focus on the, the rehab and recovery more than the surgery itself. And, you know, the importance of having a good surgeon can't be underestimated. But I do think that there's a lot of people involved in the team that takes care of these patients afterward to get them back because we operate with the goal of them achieving a high level of functioning afterward and uh, to really maximize their benefit that the emphasis on recovery has become more. I would say that we do a better job controlling pain than we did previously. I would say, for instance, part of the rehab uh, process is getting the pain controlled and getting patients moving. And what I've found is when I close the sternum, I oftentimes will use plates and screws in addition to wires. And the reason why I do that is because just like any broken bone, if there's movement at that location, there's more pain. And so to get around that, I find with increased stabilization of where we've opened the breastbone, that patients tend to have less pain and they move more, which is ultimately the goal. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I had a patient who was an internist uh, and he was in his 90s. And he would, he would tell me how, like, when people would have heart attacks, like in the 1920s and 30s, that they would just put him to bed for a month. And that was the treatment. Wow. You know, you got to lay in bed for a month. And then, uh, sure. which by today's standard, you're like, well, that's crazy. Interesting. Now, the, the biggest change that, I, that I've seen, I think, is the selection of the radial artery for bypass grafting as opposed to the uh, venous system. Can you tell us about the benefits of radial artery versus the legs? Sure, absolutely. So I, I think that the difference is, is that between the radial artery and, the, and, and vein is that arteries are inherently meant to see higher pressures than veins are, and the constitution of the, of the wall of the vessel is different. Ultimately, what that translates into the patient that's important is that an arterial graft is much more likely to be open at 20 years than is a vein graft. And so in patients that may be 50 to 70 years old that have another 10 to 20 years of life, we want to have them have the best flow to their heart possible for the longest time possible. And the concern with vein grafts is that they do get you by for five to 10 years, but, um, and that allows collateral circulation to develop, but you don't, the, for instance, if you want to go with hard numbers, I would say that at 10 years that vein grafts are open about 60% of the time. And what we found is that with rate using radial arteries, that they're open around 80 to 85% of the time. I would say that our institution is unique in that we have a long experience with it. I think Dr. Levette and Dr. Barnett have been doing radial artery grafts for 20 years. And this was long before data has been so robust that, yes, indeed, this makes sense. And so we have a long history here. I would say that it's... Um, not infrequent that we use radial arteries. And the most re recent development is endoscopic harvest of those radial arteries. So in other words, instead of the patient having a long incision on their arm, there's a small wrist incision and one at their elbow crease and uh, really doesn't cause much morbidity. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And when, they, when you guys are putting that in place, 
uh, I remember watching the YouTube video of it being done, and I was like, yeah. "Wow, that's, that's that's really cool." Speaking of advancements, uh, I know you've been here what two years now, coming up on yes. two years, maybe, somewhere there. Oh, coming up on two years. Yeah, and uh, you you have contributed to the TAVR program. Kind of explain what the TAVR program is, and and what patients might benefit from uh, a placement of the aortic valve in that fashion as opposed to surgery. Sure. So I would say the majority of patients receive in need of an aortic valve replacement are patients that the valve has basically become hardened and narrowed such that not enough blood flow is being ejected from the heart to reach the body very well. And the indications for TAVR have changed in the last two years, in fact. And I would say that initially it was a procedure really intended for high-risk patients that couldn't undergo surgical uh, right. aortic valve replacement. I think more currently. Uh, within the last year has changed to low-risk patients even for bioprosthetic or tissue valves that the recovery time is faster and the valves are showing durability over the five to 10-year course. For those that may not understand what TAVR is, it's essentially a fancy stent that's placed usually through the growing artery or the femoral artery. And within that stent is basically the new valve. And so as soon as we put it in position across that narrowed valve that they were born with, and we expand the stent, the valve becomes operational immediately. I would also say that in the last two years that we've transitioned to almost completely percutaneous access. That means that we don't make any incisions and that really it is truly minimally invasive. And then lastly, I would say that we've developed enough experience that our program was recently recognized as the Correct. first and only program in Iowa to be uh, to have achieved the excellence award for for uh, transarterial aortic valve replacement by the ACC. Yeah, that's uh, very proud of you and very proud of the the program. Let's tell our listeners some warning signs of heart attacks and when they should see their doctor. Sure, I would say that the most common presentation is is that of what people know to be chest pain or mid sternal pain, as sometimes we describe. But I've also seen a, a wide variety of presentations, and I think that it's important to, to remind people that it can be a presentation of shortness of breath or worsening shortness of breath. It can be pain radiating to the arm or to the neck. It can be symptoms of GERD uh, or reflux, that is. And um, I think that we've made headway with educating the public on some of the signs, but I would say that approximately 50% of the patients that we do coronary artery surgery on are patients that present with a heart attack. And so that means to me that there's a fair number of patients that even though we're trying to do screening and those sorts of things that aren't recognizing earlier symptoms. My, my recommendation has always been, if you don't feel well and you have risk factors, that right. that's, that's heart disease until proven otherwise. Absolutely. Because I've had, you know, because people will particularly if it develops over time, they'll, they'll self-regulate to where they don't exercise as much, you know, and they, right. and it might just be fatigue sometimes is what they present with. Certainly. And the idea is to get these people early because they really do get the most benefit. I, you know, there, there's heart muscle that doesn't get enough, enough blood flow, but there's also heart muscle that doesn't get enough blood flow and it dies. And now you've transitioned from just a heart attack to being a heart failure patient, and it really will affect your quality of life long-term. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this is really great information. Thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us. Again, this was open heart surgeon, Dr. Tyrone Galbraith, uh, Physicians Clinic of Iowa and St. Luke's Heart and Vascular Institute.
Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to Live Well Talk On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your family, friends, neighbors, strangers about our podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, be well.